What's up, everybody? Um, quick early apologies for not being around on Tuesday morning, as I said I would. Um, I'm of two minds about this podcast. I enjoy doing it. I like getting a little Q&A going here, especially at the end. I'll go ahead and throw that uh, in the channel right now. Uh, at the same time, from a pure, let's say, impact slash uh, revenue generation standpoint, I think the written content is boosting things up a bit more. I mean, you could throw the visuals in there, which I enjoy. You know, I have the subscriber free list up to, I don't know where it is now. I think it's 3,000 and change and going up rapidly there. Um, hundreds of paid subscribers also there and people who are converting and I'm doing this for free here. I mean, maybe I can start charging it here, but I don't know. I'm, I'm too, too lazy to do a free version of the podcast and a paid version of the podcast here. So, you know, I don't know. It's longer lasting, but I get that a lot of people like to just consume their content via podcast. I mean, I, I'm a big podcast listener myself. Um, mainly when I'm doing exercise or other stuff, I, I go ahead and listen to it. And it's a great way to consume a bunch of different content for different areas. So, you know, I get that's out there too. So I want to continue to do this. Um, I was especially motivated today to do this um, and make sure I got on here, even if it's a little bit later than normal, because um, I was going to say friend of the pod, but I don't think I've had him on the pod in a very long time. But friend of mine, personally, Evan Silva uh, dropped a note on the old Twitter X, whatever the hell you want to call it, um, asking about discounting the value generation of Brock Purdy based upon yak and you know what's fair or not there. I think it's a great discussion. I'm going to talk about that a bit here. We can kind of go over that in the context specifically of this game and what Brock Purdy did on Thursday night. And then also just like the larger context of what goes into my adjusted QB efficiency number, how I look at it there, and maybe how I differ from, you know, maybe absolutists who may be in, in either direction on this. Because um, I think everything, the key is how do you calibrate? It isn't saying that, you know, you, oh, if, if you throw a, a great screen pass in a great location and you're getting more yak than expected on that, that's just 100% about the receivers or about the scheme and 0% about the quarterback or, you know, vice versa saying, well, this is how the, the offense is schemed. Um, so he's executing it. So we should give him credit for it. And I think I think we should give him full credit for like maximizing the offense. But there are, you know, certain plays. And I think it makes sense um, to discount Yak to some degree. I probably do it to a less of a degree than others. Is one of the reasons I've been higher on Mahomes, who has a lot of yak in his offense, um, a lot higher on Jimmy Garoppolo, who, of course, is in this 49ers offense before, and especially a lot higher than PFF grading. And I'll talk about PFF grading, too, in context with this. You know, PFF grading, I have uh, bones to pick, which, which what I think is a generally like a great system, but for certain plays, I think the it's almost a, it's not a binary nature, but it's such a few, it's almost a binary nature for, for a lot of these different plays on in PFF grading in that so many plays get a zero just to simplify the grading. 
and you're only really highlighting to a small degree in certain areas, like a, a plus 0.05. Now they, they grade negative two to positive two on every single play, but very few plays are more than a positive one or, or worse than a negative one. So it's really the scale is almost, almost entirely between one and zero. And then, you know, more than half of the plays are just zeros. So it's kind of like half the plays you're just deciding zero. So they'll just throw zeros on all of these different like big yak plays. If it doesn't require throwing the ball down the field. Whereas I do think it's a better calibration to give some credit for it. Um, and again, I'll get into more deals and t- details and talk about that. Hopefully Evan is, is listening in because, you know, he brought up this discussion. He also said he, he listens to the pod and he's, uh, so if you're out there, Evan, this is for you, bud. Uh, great analyst, Evan. I mean, I don't think I can really say enough about the work that he and um, Adam Levitan do over at Establish the Run. If I was a bigger DFS player, I mean, 100%, I would just be subscribing, you know, all through the season. Uh, I definitely listen to all of their podcasts. Everyone should listen to their podcast there. I think they're a, a fantastic combination. And um, I'm not going to talk about the stuff that I did in my weekly commentary. I got some positive feedback on that. Kind of using that sometimes to for lack of a better word, a bitch about bad analysis that I see out in the media, in particular from people who want to project themselves and maybe viewed as like serious analysts. You know, I'm not not going to like attack Stephen A. Smith for, for what he's saying out there. Um, but, you know, people who want to be taken as serious analysts and they do bad analysis, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about it. It's something personal. It's just the way, it's just like the opposite of the analysis that I'm trying to do here. I would say that the analysis that, Evan Silva and Adam Levitan and those guys do over at ETR. Um, JJ Zacharyson is another guy. Rich Rebar is another guy. Just of the few that I can mention who are really more like the fantasy tilt. And I, I think fantasy helps. I think fantasy helps like ground people into reality because you can't say, oh, this has no chance of happening. And then it happens the next week. Well, you're going to, you know, you're going to have to adjust what, what you're doing. These guys, they just fire off takes when it's not fantasy football. It's like, ah, no one will remember what I said last week. Anyway, I'll just change my opinion. Uh, but I think those guys just do fan- fantastic work. And I would, you know, of course, never put them in a bucket of people that I'm um, that I'm discounting their analysis. Now, I may differ in some of their some of their takes, but, you know, not d- discounting their analysis like that. Uh, but anyway, so, so the agenda will be Thursday night football and focus in particular on this yak issue with Purdy and how we think about that and how it applies to others. Uh, talk a little bit about week three. And then we'll do Q&A. So if anyone has questions, uh, especially about week three, if you have particular questions, go ahead and throw it in there. I haven't done like a full, full analysis on week three yet, but I'll just kind of run through some high level ideas on the slate that we have going on here. All right. So let's talk uh, Thursday night football. And what I will do here is, you know, I'll I'll try to uh, boost up for those of you who are watching on YouTube. And again, this is being you know listened to much more then it's being watched on YouTube that I'll bring the old um, analysis from my advanced reviews, which come out every uh, Monday morning for Sunday night football, Tuesday morning for Monday night football, Friday morning for Thursday night football, and then a couple of different posts for the early and late slates on Sunday. I'll go ahead and bring that up. So if anyone is viewing this on here on the YouTube, you can see this here as I go through it. So last night, 49ers, you know, we we saw the victory 30 to 12. It was, um, 
what was it, 17 to 12 at one point in the third quarter. I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Adjusted score is a little bit more narrow. You know, it it nudges the Giants up a little bit higher. It brings the 49ers down a little bit here. I mean, the 49ers and success rate's a big part of the formula in here. We're much more successful, you know, 48%, 47, 48% success rate versus a 35%, which is a poor number for the Giants. Um, 49ers pass rate versus expectation was only about 1% under expectation. So, you know, Purdy's passing it out there. It's not like they're just hiding him or something like that out there. And I think that's important context and some credit to give him there. But the huge difference here, and I think it was mentioned many, many times during the broadcast. So if you watch the game, it's not going to come as a a big surprise was what was happening on third down. Uh, The 49ers were even hotter on third down, I think early in the game than they were overall, but overall 10 of 16 on third downs. I'm including conversions via penalty on that. Sometimes that's not done in the numbers that you'll see in the box score or talked about on television. And, you know, there were the downs and distances. I calculate an expected third rate conversion based upon, you know, league average type of historical baselines. So you would have expected them to be more in the, in the ballpark of six of 16. So about four more conversions on third down than you would have expected accounting for those things. And that's a big deal. Um, They were three of four on third downs, the 49ers with more than 10 yards to go. And on all of their third down conversion attempts, were no fourth down attempts, uh, 12.5 expected points added on those. The Giants, three of 12 on third down. The expectation would have been about five. So they were in bad third down situations. It's not like they should have, you know, converted a lot of these third downs. These were not third and ones that they were getting stuffed on over and over again. A lot of them were longer ones. Uh, But they did lose about nine expected points on those attempts, on those conversion attempts. So, again, you you know, 49ers plus 12 and a half on third down EPA. uh, Giants minus nine. You stack that together. You're getting a 21.4 point advantage for the 49ers in this game, which is huge. And what I do with a lot of this, and we'll talk about this when it comes to Yak, is, you know, I discount that. I say, right, you know, the 49ers are probably a better team than the Giants converting third downs. Um, but are they this much better? Like if you ran this game back a hundred times, would they be this much better consistently? No, I don't think they would. And because those plays are such high leverage, it's a very small sample that ends up having an outsized effect on the results of the game. I mean, we saw 2017 Carson Wentz, basically his entire MVP campaign was based upon running hot on third down that entire, that entire year, because he was like an average quarterback on early downs. And then, off the charts good on third down that year that you can have in a smaller sample hot and cold streaks that will affect the results that don't really get at the fundamentals. But again, in this game, the fundamentals also from a success rate standpoint. So just looking at positive EPA or not on a particular play, we're also much better for the 49ers. And that's why the adjusted score has them as being quite a bit better. Uh, One thing to talk about when I, again, I mentioned this game was 17 to 12 at one point. I know I've talked about this before, Maybe I'm being a bit pedantic here to, to highlight this again, but I think people look at it and they go, oh, 17-12, 10 minutes left in the third quarter. Like, this is a game. This is a game that, you know, potentially can go either way going forward. Well, actually, maybe no one was thinking about that, <laughs> thinking that in the last night's game. But anyway, I just want to highlight that if you look at the win probability chart, uh, it's still very strong for the 49ers at that point. Now, it started very strong because they were 10.5-point favorites, about an 80% win probability in betting markets. But even at that point, 
It's really, really strong. And I think especially when people look at these quote unquote one possession games, they may overestimate how close it is because, you know, the 49ers are going to get the ball first. There's less than a half of football left. They're very likely to have more possessions going forward and have a one possession lead and be the better team. You combine all those things together and a five point lead. It's not insurmountable, but it's something where it's, you know, an 80% win probability, 85% win probability. It was still at when the 49ers, um, when their lead was cut to five, with still a lot of time left to go. So just, just get an idea. I know, again, it sticks out in our minds when teams come back, but I think the model here, which I'm taking from NFL Faster and the stuff that that they do over there, I think it's very well calibrated. I've, I've dug into it. This is not, you know, an old ESPN model where it was not well calibrated. So just something to keep in mind for that one. Um, Christian McCaffrey, another strong game here. Now, most of the 49ers efficiency was honestly through their passing game. They were, you know, plus 90% efficiency EPA per play on dropbacks, about 50th percentile on runs, although it splits pretty heavily along the lines of McCaffrey versus Elijah Mitchell. Um, Elijah Mitchell, negative 3.4 EPA on 11 carries. Christian McCaffrey, positive 1.9 on 18 carries. Now, these are not eye-popping type of numbers, but if you can generate positive EPA on design runs, that's that's good. That's very strong uh, relative to what you would expect. So big dividing line there. I know the 49ers are trying to get away from giving Christian McCaffrey so many touches. They talked about that. This was a game where with a pretty decent lead, and again, having that 85 to 90% win probability for most of the second half, they could get away from him and be okay, but I don't know. Maybe they'll look at these numbers and try to involve Christian McCaffrey a bit more. Well, we'll see how that workload uh, plays out going forward. Now, Brock Purdy, I mean, I'll go down to the quarterback numbers here. 0.42 EPA per play. That's like better than MVP type of numbers. If we extrapolate that out over the course of an entire season's worth of plays, uh, 2.9% completions over expected. Pretty good. But now when we look at the rest of what he did last night, and I think this would be interesting, and I don't know wh- what people feel about Brock Purdy versus how they felt about Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, I was always a Jimmy truther. I'm probably going to be a bit of a Brock Purdy truther versus kind of your average normie um, film guy for sure. I mean, just to take as a proxy for that opinion um, let me look up right now at the ringer, you know, they have these quarterback rankings. So that's something that's been getting a decent amount of buzz. Uh, where do they have Purdy here? I think it's extremely low. So they have Brock Purdy at 27. Now he was 32 to start the year. So they have, yeah, Steve Ruiz over there has moved him up to 27. Congratulations. Although one of those spots is Aaron Rodgers being gone, but another one of those spots is also, they have a holder, a placeholder for Tom Brady in there. So, um, but still, they're not giving him much credit. In fact, they have, he has uh, Jimmy Garoppolo at 22. So a little bit higher. Uh, Both of those are too low for for my taste. But again, like a lot of people are not going to give that much credit to Brock Purdy. I do think though, that like, he's not, you know, playing like an MVP, like his numbers are going to say after this week, in particular, after this strong performance, 45 plays. So it wasn't like it was a low volume type of performance. He's going to be right up there in epa per play this season um i mean through week two if you look at the numbers for for where he was in epa per play he was fourth in epa per play through two weeks now 
Jordan Love is number one, uh, marginally higher than Tua, who has a little bit of a gap down to Dak. And then there's a pretty big gap after Dak, who's, again, lo low volume so far for Dak because the defense has just been absolutely crushing people. Uh, you have Purdy and Garoppolo kind of right next to each other when you look at when you chart offensive grade for PFF versus EPA per play. But again, Purdy's like offensive EPA per play is way higher than his PFF grade that will continue this week. Uh, again, he had MVP numbers, you know, better numbers, uh, like matching kind of what Tua's numbers have been so far this season. He had that type of efficiency in this game. Yet, if you look at the PFF grading, he had a 61 grade overall and a 58.8 passing grade from pff so it's very low relative to that so let's talk about yak how i view it now i haven't, I haven't put out my adjusted quarterback efficiency number yet i apologize for that but i'm kind of waiting honestly on espn to get me the open scores for the receivers which they haven't published yet they were at 538 i talked to seth walder over there they're going to be put up um maybe after week four. So you got to wait a little bit longer. I apologize. Maybe I'll do an adjusted, adjusted one for next week instead that doesn't use that, but hopefully we'll get that up soon. But one of the things I do do in that calculation, I think it's fair to do is discount yards after catch EPA that you generate versus that, which is generated through air yards. Uh, I mean, it's intuitive, but I don't do it to a, to a vast degree. I mean, there's two factors that can go into when you're getting a higher yak than you might even expect on a certain play. Now, I also have an expected yak number, which isn't based upon the location of the defenders because I don't have that location data, but it is based upon area of the field as far as left, center, right, and distance down the field where it's caught. And the 49ers, you know, pretty consistently outperform their expected yak. So that's a combination of a few different things. Good receivers who can generate yak, um, good scheming that leaves the defenders away from the, the player, and you know, good quarterback play who can get the ball out quickly, can put it in a position where the receiver can run well after the catch, and reading the defense to find a good receiver. Now, the reason we generally discount yak, though, I think there are a couple of like pretty obvious illustrations in this game that we can point to is two big third down conversions. So there were two big third down conversions that Purdy had. And in this game, he generated about 95% of all of his EPA on completions via Yak on this. Um, he had two different third down conversions, one to Debo Samuel, one to Christian McCaffrey that traveled a combined negative 10 air yards. One of them was a screen out to Debo Samuel where he converted, I think that was the third and 15. I don't remember. But anyways, either 13 or 15. So that's a huge conversion. A uh, huge positive EPA type of play. We're talking about a two, three expected points added just on that one play. Same thing for Christian McCaffrey, where that was more of a swing pass. Again, there's not like reading the defense involved in this, but there is some skill involved in it. I think people are wrong who discount it and act like there's no skill involved in this. I think... I mean, I can understand to some degree how like a lot of the people who are doing film analysis who may have played quarterback themselves, especially the more amateurish, um, meaning like now I'm saying amateurish, like not doing a good job, but I'm saying amateurish, meaning not like former NFL players will look at that and go like, I could have done that. And they probably are right to some degree because that's the type of quarterbacks they were, right? Like they weren't 
They didn't have rocket arms and they weren't like six, five with rocket arms and other things like that. But there are quarterbacks who can't do that as well. I mean, anyone who watches what Justin Fields does, even with some of his accuracy, when it comes to some of these screen passes, anyone who watches, I don't know, Trey Lance, let's say for the 49ers, the way he had kind of a hitch in his windup and wasn't the most accurate and the quickest to even make decisions on plays that are like screen plays. I mean, Garoppolo and Purdy get the ball out quickly and accurately in the right spot on these plays. So it does matter some. I'm not just going to completely write it off like a lot of people would, but I do think it makes sense to discount them. Now, PFF is going to look at that Debo Samuel conversion, that Christian McCaffrey conversion, and I'm going to say with 99.9% certainty, mark those plays as a zero on their negative two to positive two scale. So the, there's going to be no credit essentially given on that. Now, they're not marking it like a like an incompletion or something, but they're just marking it into the same bucket as the 60% of plays that they mark zero. Whereas EPA is telling us those are two of the most, two of the five biggest plays of the game that Purdy made here. Where's the truth lie? I mean, somewhere in between, but I think it's it's definitely not zero. I feel less comfortable marking it as zero than I do in giving them all the credit there. But, you know, Purdy had the 4.9 yard a dot for all of this here. And, you know, the PFF grading being low, it also accounts for the fact I think there were two turnover worthy throws that were not interceptions. So that's something that I build into the adjusted quarterback efficiency number, but it's not something that comes through an EPA per play. So all these are going to be different. I think the discussion is good. Generally, I'm team Purdy, team Garoppolo and saying, hey, if this was so easy to do. Then, then everyone would step in. You know, you wouldn't have the number three overall pick be a complete bust there um, in San Francisco. Even they're like, oh, Nick Mullins did it. Nick Mullins did it for a little bit, and then he sucked afterwards, okay? Uh, C.J. Beathard was, was sucked, basically, uh, as the quarterback there. So it's like, you're not anyone can do it. We, we, we got to be a little bit more nuanced about that. But I do think it's fair to do some discounting here when it comes to what's going on with the numbers for, for Brock Purdy here, which, again, He'll be, you know, right up there, if not leading the league in uh, EPA per play at the end of this week. Uh, Daniel Jones, I want to talk about Daniel Jones a little bit here. I mean, not good. Negative 0.22 EPA per play. He had the interception, which was a little bit rough. Um, 5.9 ADOT. I'm even surprised it's that high because they were throwing nothing down the field. But I do think they had a handful of longer passes to Darren Waller down the sideline. I mean, that does not seem like great offense. <laughs> I'm going to tell you here. Uh, contested catches to uh, Darren Waller, uh, also with the sideline playing a, a second defender there. And the problem with Jones is if he doesn't give you the rushing value. Last year, fourth in, com in combined designated run and scramble EPA. Only behind Fields, Hurts, and Josh Allen. That's it. Justin Fields with all of his massive scrambles where it went for like um, 60 yards. Fields, Hurts, Allen, Daniel Jones was next. He was still fourth, actually, through two weeks. And that helped what he did last week in Arizona. But, you know, he didn't have any positive value in this game. And those are just going to be backbreakers for games where they, they can't stretch the field, which they didn't do last year and they haven't really done this year. And I was hoping last week we we're going to see a mini you know, Jalen high up breakout because he had a long catch 
he had uh, two only two catches, but at least he had a very long one down the field. But this time he was only in the game for 40 of 14 of 40 Giants dropbacks, zero targets. I don't know. Uh, I think you got to get him more involved or else it's going to be really rough sledding for the for the um, the Giants so far this year. Okay, let's talk week three for a little bit here. Uh, maybe I'll just go down some of the old slate. Um, I'll just bring up DraftKings. I got nothing better to look at here as far as what the lines may be because I think it'll be illuminating here. All right, so we got Colts, Ravens. I don't know. Do, do, I don't know if we even have confirmed whether or not it's going to be Minshew or um, Richardson. I think Minshew's probably gives him a better upside. I mean, I mentioned that he, he might be better, at least from a median projection standpoint, than about four or five different quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So that's an interesting line there at eight. That's a big number. The Ravens, the only thing I'll say about the Ravens is I'm of two minds about them so far. I think it's encouraging that they've kind of gotten this passing game going a bit here, but it's not like... Lamar Jackson has been fantastic this year um, by, by the numbers. So it's not like the, the offense they would run where he is doing design runs, which he's not doing this year. Um, that type of offense that they were running at its peak in 2019, but then also at moments where they were just playing really well outside of that for stretches, whether it was in 2020, 2021, 2022, that, I mean, the early, remember early 2022, like how strong that offense was a lot of big plays, but some of those were design runs that he was, that he was taking to the house. Um, yeah. I just think that he's not, he, he hasn't been on that, uh, on, on that, on that level. I mean, even this last game here, drop back, drop back EPA per play, in the 77th percentile for the Ravens. I mean, it's not bad, you know? Uh, really good success rate, but not necessarily big plays there. 0.26 EPA per play, like good number, but again, not a fantastic number. The type of number you're going to have to stack week in and week out if you want to even be in the MVP conversation. Um, but then last week, again, combination of scrambles and rushes, and he did scramble sometimes, eight for 37 yards, um, but no positive EPA on those scrambles. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit more skeptical in this new offense for the Ravens being a good thing. I still think that offense runs best when Lamar's running the ball, but maybe from a long-term perspective, they've invested so much in the weapons. They're going to continue to, to roll that forward. So, uh, we'll, we'll see for that one. Bills commanders bills are a six and a half point favorite. Um, I guess this is another one where we're looking at it and saying, oh, wait a second. Like, who is going to be the quarterback in this game? Um, it is the commanders at home. They're frisky. I think with Sam Howell, I mentioned that he's probably been the best of these, like, questionable second-year quarterbacks and how they've played so far this year. So I think it's interesting. Uh, I've heard some... Russell Wilson comps, and I think, I don't know if he has the accuracy to be a Russell Wilson comp, but I definitely think that's a better comp than Baker Mayfield because of what he does. He's more athletic than Baker, basically. So he can move around a bit more, maybe take some more sacks than he needs. But the Buffalo Bills jumped up to the top of my power rankings. So far from what we've seen this year, marginally better than the Chiefs. Um, so we'll see that. 
Uh, Broncos Dolphins. This one is really interesting to me because I think the Broncos fall into a category which includes the Patriots for sure. I'm trying to think of there's another team that falls into this bucket. Mm, no, I think the well, the Vikings, the Patriots, the Vikings, and the Broncos all fall into a bucket for me of being a team, teams that are actually playing better than they were last week. Um, I mean, last week, last year, but they're 0-2. I know it's a frustrating watch when it comes to Russ and that offense, but he's, he's producing okay value so far this year. It's in fits and starts, but it's happening. Um, the Dolphins offense has been off the charts and I think they've been able to counter everything. The Broncos defense has not been good and now they got to travel out to Miami. So this is an interesting one, but I do think Broncos, I'm going to be paying special attention to them to see like, what are we looking at so far this year? Cause I think from the internals, from the peripheral numbers, you could be, you could be, um, encouraged by what you've seen there, but no one's going to be encouraged again, big favorites this weekend. No one's going to be encouraged. I mean, big underdogs this weekend. No one's going to be encouraged that they're 0-3 at this point. It's going to be crisis mode, even if the the numbers, the peripheral numbers have gotten better. Uh, Texans, Jags, Jags, eight and a half point favorites. Eh, I don't have much to say about this one. Sound, seems, seems pretty good to me. Falcons, Lions, Lions, three point favorites. Kind of surprised they're not a bigger favorite, but their defense, they got defensive injuries. It's going to be a, a shit show there. Uh, I always think it's it, one thing that annoys me a little bit. And again, it's not like annoying, like I'm actually mad at the people about it because I get it. Is looking at the Falcons, and I would agree, like they they need to hide Desmond Ritter, but I think they are hiding him. There's always this idea of like if your quarterback's not good, then you look at something, and this happened a lot with the Browns in the past, and your running game has extremely high efficiency, better efficiency than your passing game, that you just say, God damn, like just run the ball more. You could always say just run the ball more, right? The problem is a bad passing game can sometimes force you into more passing situations. Teams should probably be running the ball not more on first or second down as people think, but they probably should be running the ball more on third and three, third and four, third and five, third and six, maybe even third and seven and third and eight. Sometimes those are actually the times where I would say, Oh, you know what? But, but it's very traditional not to do that. Even when you have a bad quarterback. So what happens is your bad quarterback can't convert on third down. So that kills the drive. You don't get another first and second down where you can potentially run the ball you got to mix in some early down passing. It's not like you can have no early down passing. But when you're mixing in that early down passing, it's bad, which puts you in a down and distance situation where even if your early downs are one pass, one run, you're kind of setting yourself up for almost a necessary pass on third down there. Um, so I think that's what ends up happening. You know, every every time we come back to these coaches, be like, why didn't you run the ball more? Why don't you hide this guy more? It's the NFL, you know? Sometimes a great, highly efficient passing offense is the best offense for running the ball a lot. If you think about like the highly efficient third down conversion type of offenses we've seen with Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers, with Ryan Tannehill and the Titans, uh, going back to a guy who was high volume, 
Tony Romo when he had his best efficiency season, which was 2014, 2014. Um, they just ran the ball a ton, but he was hugely efficient because he would go and get you more downs to go run the ball. So when you we don't have a quarterback who can't, when a quarterback can't get you more downs to run the ball, you're not going to run the ball that much. And a higher, you can only hold down that pass rate so much. So, like, I get it. You say, hey, Falcons, just run the ball more and you'll win. Easier said than done. Although I would suggest, as I mentioned right, right up the top is, hey, coaches, if you want to be, you know, if you want to show some real gumption for running the ball, let's do it on third and seven. And then go for it on fourth down when you pick up five yards. Let's see how many coaches are willing to do that. Somehow that doesn't normally comport with the mindset that goes with like, we got to run the ball type of mindset. Uh, all right. Chargers Vikings, one point see, Vikings, one point favorite. People probably would not have expected that um, since people are so low on the Vikings. I've kind of gone from being really, really low on them last year, pretty low in the off season because it was based upon their internals from last year and saying, you know what? They're not that bad this year. Kirk Cousins is playing a lot better offensively. They're playing a lot better. Even the running game stinks. Um, but you know, people are probably concentrating on that a little too much. Uh, I don't think Cam Akers is going to solve that. Um, their, their offensive line is, is pretty trash as far as run blocking is concerned. So, but Kirk Cousins is actually having a better year. So like Kirk Cousins plays his best year since 2020. They're 0 and 2 last year was his worst season for several years and you know they they go 14 and 3 so who the hell knows uh patriots jets patriots two and a half point favorites a lot of people it's three in some places i've seen um because it's 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 priced a little bit towards them it's a minus 115 at least here at DraftKings. that's probably like a little bit of a head scratcher for people but again internally peripherals patriots have been much better than their own two record they're better than last year's team they're better probably well i don't know if they're better than the performance of like the cam newton type of teams i don't i don't think they're as good as mac jones rookie year team that looked pretty good but like the year before cam jones uh, cam newton actually looked like like he was going to be okay the first couple of weeks before falling off a cliff so they're probably better like internally than that team but the owen two record and of course a lot of this is about the Zach Wilson debacle going on at quarterback. And maybe if the Jets lose at home to an ugly Patriots team, I don't think a lot of Jets fans are going to be like, well, you know, the Patriots were two and a half point favorites. So, uh, you know, juice towards three. So we shouldn't be that upset about it. Now people are going to be pretty upset because it's really going to get into, okay, now we're one and two. Oh, and two with Zach Wilson starting. Although, you know, you got to play the entire game week one. So maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, we're, we're this season's over if we don't do something type of mode, but Patriots are, are a little bit better team than people think. Uh, Browns three and a half point favorites at home versus the Titans. I don't know what to say. Deshaun Watson, like uh, maybe I'm giving up on analytics when it comes to Deshaun Watson. And it, the problem is, is, is like we don't have any sample really of volunteer. Well, I shouldn't say voluntary leaving for a year but it's kind of like what examples will we have of someone leaving for a year non-injury i'll say non-injury leaving for more than a year and then coming back what that means i did see someone left some interesting commentary for in the bayesian um 
quarterback rankings where I discussed this, where I didn't know I was kind of at a loss myself on what to do because I'm decaying these old results from Watson, but they're so, so strong, the 2020 results and earlier, that it's still like propping up his 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 ranking in this. So Skip Van Meter, if that's a real name or not, I don't know, but I'll give you some credit here in the comments. You said that um, in the Bill James abstract, they noted that in the mid-80s about players who voluntarily took a year off from playing baseball as opposed to being injured for a year. I don't know what that means. Like, I guess guys who are like hampered or something like that. I don't know what as opposed to being injured for a year means. Well, now I'm a little confused on this. But anyway, it says, from my memory, again, now we're adding in additional layers of uncertainty. I'm not quite sure what he's saying. His memory is suspect in here. But he said he thinks that Bill James concluded that such players always performed worse when they returned. Like every player. Which was not that many, which, which is not that many, but it does happen. Mm, okay, so, but, you know, that's something more so to go on than what we have for Watson. So, hey, um, you know, that's something. It, prob it probably needs to be an extra factor. I wasn't thinking that would be the case. You know, I'm kind of like a rookie quarterback guy, whether they sit or not. Their success going forward is mostly based on how good they are, not like whether they were sitting or not. So taking time off in that circumstance to me, I didn't think it was a bad thing. But, you know, there's also an outside chance that like Watson, even if he continued to play, just wasn't as good as who we thought he was. And it has nothing to do with the time off. So all those things come into play. I'm still going to lean further towards thinking that he's he's like he he has above average quarterback outcomes than most people who have kind of just completely sent him aside. And I think the markets agree with me to some degree, at least them being three and a half point favorite at home. I mean, their defense is just crushing this year. Defense is getting underplayed, I would say, a bit. They're they're not quite at Cowboys level, but they're not far off for how good this defense has been so far this year. Uh, the Browns defense, keeping them in, in games. And maybe it's even been underplayed a bit for the Browns, like how disastrous this Watson trade is if this continues to, to go forward. I mean, this was a mortgage everything type of trade. And the fact that it's had this type of results, the fact that Jacoby Brissett is actually, I have to actually take him out of my numbers from last season because he's giving giving the Browns too much credit. Even when you decay those old uh, Jacoby Brissett numbers, tells you something there. Okay, Packers, one-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Saints. I think that's fair. Jordan Love's been good this year. I'm pretty skeptical on his numbers so far. Very low volume last week. A lot of open throws and playing the Bears, who might have the worst defense in the NFL the week before. And I think the Saints are pretty good. That's an interesting number there. Uh, Seahawks, five-and-a-half-point favorites at home against Carolina. Another young quarterback who isn't going to play. At least we have that confirmed. Versus a veteran in Andy Dalton, who is probably gives you a better baseline number especially on the road we're talking about in seattle uh having that experience than what you would see um <laughs> i was wondering for andy dalton like when they were bringing him in just to do sneaks he must have been like fuck i didn't sign up for this shit you know like <laughs> I'm, I'm an old man and you're like you bring me in here to be the backup i'm, I'm expecting to hold a clipboard get some starts if need be uh, earn some nice cash here, and you have me coming in to these these fucking uh, tush pushes. This is ridiculous. Um, so pro so good for for Dalton that he's gonna that he's gonna get out there and actually start a game and not have to be used in that fashion. Cowboys twelve and a half point favorites on the road against the Cardinals. Cardinals have been okay. 
much better than you would have expected so far this year, but probably Mirage. Uh, I read that the Cowboys, their point differential so far this year. Let me get this uh, so I can get the exact numbers here. So the Cowboys point differential through two games so far this year is plus 60. Now, the 49ers actually are plus 48 through three games, so they're they're close. But still, plus 60 through two games so far this year. Uh, that's more than the Jaguars all of last year. That's almost twice as much as the Ravens all of last year. That's half as much as the Chiefs all of last year. Half as much as the Eagles all of last year. Half as much as the Cowboys' own number from all of last year. In two games so far. So, yeah, we, we don't expect that to continue, but they're definitely firing on both sides of the ball. My numbers are a little bit slower to catch up with others who are power ranking the Cowboys at number one. And at least according to the numbers that Ben Baldwin has posted, it shows the Cowboys as being number one according to betting markets. Again, injuries and other things can come into play on that. I'm not quite ready to crown them there. I'm not that Certain that the defensive efficiency will maintain this high, even though they've looked pretty damn good. Um, and Dak Prescott is, you know, going to continue his low volume at that high of efficiency. But hey, 12 and a half, you know, if, if you want to bet on the on the Cardinals there and Josh Dobbs, you know, go for it. Uh, Bears, and this shows you a sad state of the Bears, although they are at the Chiefs. They're also 12 and a half point favorite so the same number as the arizona cardinals remember the bears are supposed to be on the the the, the jump up here at, but at the kansas city chiefs so on the road but are the chiefs a better team than the cowboys i don't know it's close i, I have them as being a better team but it's close by my numbers a uh, little little talk on the bears here i put this out in my weekly commentary so if anyone wants to talk about that uh listen i've been a, a fields skeptic or a I've been hating on Fields apologists, I guess, as more as I would frame it for the last couple of seasons here. But, like, I don't have anything to add at this point about how the Bears suck. Everyone thinks they suck. Even their fan base. We, we, we've, we, You know, you get that, like, inflection point where one week or one offseason, the, off, the entire offseason, you know, I put out an article which said that the Bears should look at drafting a quarterback at number one because you don't know how often you're going to be there you shouldn't be certain in fields this and that you know the 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 fan base wants you to die when, when you come out with something like that uh football guys say it's not a serious opinion it's crazy you know of course they don't actually like explain why it's not serious or why it's crazy they just dismiss it out of hand sort of thing now two weeks into the nfl season i highlighted how in an article by ben solak over at the ringer uh, the ringer are kind of like my rivals, I would say, as far as people I like to I like to take down. Um, he's already writing about like, hey, should they have drafted a quarterback? It's like that's information that would have been good to have had yesterday. You know that meme like that's information that would have been good to have had before the draft, not two weeks into the NFL season. You watch the guy start 25 starts um, and be god awful outside of a handful of 60 yard scramble touchdowns. And now, two weeks into the NFL season, everyone's going to jump on the Bears suck and everything, and they have no chance, and Justin Fields is is trash and has no chance. Like, we kind of were trending very heavily in that direction already. Um, why, why is this the tipping point? Hell, they were down three points on the road last week with two minutes to go and the ball. They could have won that game. 
Uh, I mean, they suck, but they go to they, their defense in particular, making Baker Mayfield look like um, even better than who we thought he might be after that rookie season. But still, I, I, this is, you're not, you know, this this is like pile on time. The media loves nothing more than a good pile on. Media loves nothing more than to tell you why the thing you believe is not only true, but it's even worse than you think if you're negative. Um, and Bears fans want to be masochistic and read negative stuff about the Bears. They're in that mode. And then every other fan base wants to read negative stuff about the Bears because then it makes them feel good to be like, hey, at least we're not the Bears. So I'm not going to jump on there, even though they, they, they do suck. There's no doubt about it. But again, I've been saying that for a while. Uh, Steelers, Raiders. Raiders, two and a half point favorites. That's an interesting one because I think, it's, again, it's something people may not suspect, even though the Steelers offense has been god-awful. Uh, Kenny Pickett's least efficient quarterback in the NFL so far. And I don't think he's had like the most difficult defenses that he's faced. Um, although the Browns are maybe just that legit. I don't know. And Garoppolo, I'm always a Garoppolo truther. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, Monday night, the dual Monday night. Again, I don't mind speaking, you know, like splitting up the workload, but I'm not sure I'm a, I'm a big fan of this dual Monday night. So we got, Bucks at home versus the Eagles. Eagles five point favorites. Eh, eh. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's good. <laughs> I'm not ready to like. I just haven't moved that much on the Eagles. I was a little bit lower than people going into the year. Hurts hasn't been great, but that's fine. Obviously, the Bucks are a bit of a mirage for an o, for a two and O team. But hey, why not? And then Bengals three point favorites. We don't know what the hell's going on with Joe Burrow, right? For that one. I guess it was it was more like seven or something. I'm actually a little bit surprised it hasn't moved lower than three. I'm concerned about this calf thing. I mean, this is okay. This is not a database. You guys might get mad at me for not being too database here. But we have Aaron Rodgers who had some calf issues and then tore his Achilles, right? People, they try to pretend like these things are not necessarily related. Um, and again, I'm really going small on the anecdotal. But remember the NBA finals, what was it, three years ago? when Kevin Durant had that calf issue and then he tore his Achilles and the Warriors swore up and down that it's an unrelated injury. We were not, you know, putting him out there in a situation where he could have harmed himself, this and that. I don't know. It seems a little too coincidental to have two calf injuries turn into two Achilles on uh, older athletes, but still it happened twice. And you, I think you have to, at least in the back of your mind, be worried about it. The problem is for the Bengals, you're 0-2. You go 0-3 at home against the Rams. You're in a fucking tough division. At least you should be. Is The Steelers can do something. Um, and the Browns can do something. Should play a little bit better. I don't know, man. It's rough. Ravens are 2-0. and And they are, again, big uh, favorites. Eight point favorites against the Colts. They could be three and oh, you could be 0 and three. But do you want Burrow to, you know, tear his Achilles and be out for the entire rest of the season? Their backup is like, who the hell is their backup? Jake Browning? Fucking never thrown a pass before in the NFL. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this has to have a decent amount priced in of the fact that Burrow's still going to play, even at three. But I don't know. Right? Am I wrong? I don't. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm buying into the hype of Stafford playing well. The, these last couple of weeks or, or being okay. These last couple of weeks we'll end up seeing here. All right, let's take some questions. Sorry. That was just pretty rambling there for week three, but helps me figure things out here.
Uh, Jack Jeffrey says, got to keep up the podcast. Okay, for you, Jack, I will I will do it. Uh, right Angle Sports, some of the, the most famous uh, uh, originators here, public originators. For week three previews, would love to know your take on the Steelers offense versus the Raiders defense and any changes you anticipate from Canada or Graham. That's coming from Adam Chernoff over there. Uh, okay, you, you know, I, I'm the wrong guy to talk to about the offensive scheming. Apologies there. What, what I would say when it comes to Matt Canada is however bad you think like he is, and he might be bad, he's not as bad as people think he is. Whenever, whenever it becomes like everyone in the universe believes he's that bad, um, I would take a deep breath on there. Again, this Browns defense is legit, okay? This Browns defense is legit. It's not just the numbers that we've seen so far. I think that they've also they, they just have a lot of talent now they hadn't put it together really um the last couple of years but i feel like they had a lot of talent the last couple of years it's just they would get they would get crushed on third down and on late downs so you know looking at this and saying well the steelers offense was bad against the browns outside of a very long george pickens catch they were bad against the 49ers I mean, it's hard to think of a worse slate for any team to have faced, unless you mix the Cowboys in there, these first two weeks of the NFL season. Pathetic, yes. Um, would your normal defensive strength adjustment not be that high? Because, like, when you're looking historically at how well defense played in the past, and then you project forward the effect they have, it's going to be more of a marginal gain sort of thing but hell who knows maybe these teams are really like these demons are really that good and there can be a snowball effect sometimes for this so i don't know i think i think that the the offense will be a lot better there um but i don't really have any theories on how uh patrick graham will try to will, will try it will, will try to do anything different other than the fact that i think the steelers are are better a lot a lot better than what they performed um and you know the numbers under three for the raiders so I don't really know where to go there. Uh, Q&A, how much would you value uh, Debo's yak ability? I mean, pretty high. Pretty high. I mean, he's got – there's so you can look at not only the yak over expected, which, again, can get a little bit muddled because of where the receivers are – I mean, where the defenders are in certain plays, how the scheming works, how the quarterback was throwing the ball. But we've just seen the broken tackles. You can't deny the broken tackles. Uh, Last night – Let's look. Let's let's go ahead and, and get a good look here at the um, missed missed tackles forced. I think is the technical definition. Six last night. Six. That's a lot for a wide receiver uh, from Debo last night. So it's not only you know the acceleration. I think we can see the missed tackle forced, and then even what we can also see from him. It's just like body type in a way. If we're going to say, if you're going to build like a yak receiver, short and stout, like kind of like a running back, right? Running backs are going to be the guys who are going to be obviously running with the ball in their hands a little bit better. I mean, he's six foot, 215. That's like uh, the BMI. Tick that BMI box there versus other receivers who are typically at 215, 
Um, he might even be more like 220 or higher or going to be much taller than that. So I think we can look at all those things and just rate him very, very highly on that. The problem, of course, is like it could be a hit or miss proposition. Some of these, I think there's less stability when it comes to um, Yak on some of these things. And as far as how it threatens the defense, you're not going to get like these gravity type of effects probably as much as you do for a great receiver down the field. So it'll be like the stuff that doesn't show up in the numbers. Like a Tyreek Hill, even if he doesn't catch the ball, is having a larger effect on the game probably than someone like Debo Samuel. But I don't know. Maybe when he's coming in motion and doing other things, it really does have that big of an effect. So Debo, stud talent. Uh, love the guy. Probably a little quick to crown Brandon Ayuk as being the best receiver over there by some people. Uh, Q&A, what's up with the terrible 4 o'clock window? First of all, we're, we're this is the East Coast. Um this is, this is an East Coast podcast. Um, I don't know if you guys know Denny Carter, C.D. Carter. As he says, the only legitimate time zone. Although I was a West Coast guy, so I can't get that upset about it. But yeah, you're right. It's looking pretty rough. I don't know. Denver, Miami. I'm interested in that. I like that. Uh, New England Jets. Doesn't seem like a good game, but at least we got some storylines there. Buffalo, Washington. That seems pretty good. Uh, people like Atlanta, Detroit. People. I'm not a big fan of Atlanta. I don't know. It's not that bad, is it? I guess, I mean, Dallas, they always put them in the late window because you got to get their primetime Dallas Cowboys. So Dallas is on there. I mean, Seattle, Carolina, that seems pretty ugly. Kansas City Bears in the afternoon, that seems pretty ugly. I mean, it's a big 1 p.m. window, right? We only have three games in the late window. So I don't know. Oh, oh you're, maybe you're talking about the actual 4 p.m. now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> It is ugly. I don't know why I thought you were talking West Coast. Maybe because I was thinking more like 425. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty ugly only having the three games there, but whatever. People complain about it every week, and, you know, that's the way it goes. I admit, like, after after mainlining NFL Red Zone in the morning where you have all these different games and then you have all the last-second finishes and everything ends up happening, and then you switch off to Red Zone where it's got three games on there. So, like, half of the time it's spent outside of the Red Zone, half of the time – they're showing red zone in games where um, like they'll be showing the red zone with who, who are some of these matchups here again. Yeah. They'll be showing the red zone with Dallas up like three touchdowns. <laughs> and then the Cardinals are trying to put out some, some garbage touchdowns at the end or Chicago. Oh my God. Yeah. That's yeah. You're right. This is really, I guess these are pretty high spreads too. Oh yeah. Th this is, this is bad. But, you know, I like a good ass whooping as a fan. So if you're a Dallas fan or a KC fan, it could be a good way to kind of relax this this afternoon. Um, I, I just can't be a fan anymore. My, my fan, fandom, fandom is dead to me. What can I say? Um, okay. Any thoughts on how we should evaluate coaches? Tape guys love to rip bad schemes, but how do we know a scheme is bad? Receiver openness ratings, lack of play action. Yeah, yeah. So here's what I'll say. Dr. Tough Guy. I like Dr. Tough Guy here. This kind of falls into like the Bears discussion and just the general media discussion of these things. I think guys who even do like legitimately good work, let's say like JT O'Sullivan. Is it O'Sullivan or JT Sullivan? I feel like O'Sullivan's better, but it's probably just JT Sullivan. When he does those film breakdowns, I guarantee he got more hits, more followers, more everything when he did that bears breakdown where he was just like, what the fuck is going on the entire time? That was probably the most successful thing he did for this entire year. And, you know, YouTube analytics are like in your face. You can't get away from YouTube analytics. So 
like it's hard not to let that affect how you do things. I mean, I don't let it. I don't. I try not to let it affect me because you know, I'm just like, I, I just just don't care about trying to endear myself and to to get that much attention, honestly. And I only do things that type of analysis that I would be personally interested in. But I could see how that that affects people's viewpoints. So when they're ripping bad schemes. You know, like let's rip some schemes. Let's show your let's show your like tape grinder uh, bona fides here, and let's rip some schemes that are actually performing well from a EPA type of standpoint. People love to rip quarterbacks who are performing well from an EPA standpoint, but then what they do is they say, "Oh my God, the scheme is so amazing." You know, when 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 Brock Purdy or um. Jimmy Garoppolo are playing well. They're just, you know, they're just like, oh, Shanahan, Shanahan. When Jared Goff is playing well, they'll say, oh, McVay or um, Ben Johnson. It's all about him. Like, show me a scheme that sucks. There's not going well, but the results are pretty good. Again, they, they kind of fall into this, this, this one of the major tenets of media, which is this thing that's bad. Let me explain to you why it's really, really bad. People like that. I don't know. People like to do that. And that's kind of the main thing with bad schemes. So so I don't know. I, I'm just going to pivot off of that and say it's probably not as bad as you think. That's what I'm going to say. Um, and I'm going to try to isolate as much as we can quarterback play and then say, okay, well, what are we getting from this offense that, that may be the, the outside of what the quarterback is giving us? And then realize that coaching is the hardest thing to, to measure. So – like it's almost better as a default just to discount it versus whatever people are saying out there and all the all the tape grinders are saying out there. Not that they're wrong. It's just it's probably going way too far. You're probably just leaning into the thing, something that everyone believes and just being even more overconfident about it. Uh, Dr. Tough Guy, another one here. Nerds rip bad game management, but how consequential is game management? League guys talk about the CEO approach, but how do we separate that from GM ownership? It's very confusing. Now, I agree that it is very confusing, Dr. Tough Guy. Uh, are you an actual doctor or Holiday Inn Express, Dr. Tough Guy? Um, here's what I'll say about game management. Not that consequential in an absolute sense. Like all these fourth down decisions, especially two point decisions, things like that. Yeah, yeah, not that incons, not that consequential. But sorry, I got to hit the cough button here. But the NFL is a net zero sum game. So when we talk about draft picks and how you look at different positions, when we talk about fourth down decisions, when we talk about game management, things like that. Those are all areas where you can gain a very large relative advantage on the rest of the NFL. So even if it's a small amount, even if, let's say, 98% of the game is about other things, your ability to outperform on that 98% is tiny. Your ability to out-coach people, to out-draft pick people, to out-motivate people, to out-whatever people. It's like table stakes. It's like you're just trying to keep up with the best teams to be able to do that, maybe. With a healthy dose of luck into a lot of that stuff, right? Um, 
So maybe you can get a little bit higher, or a little bit better. If you can get a relative advantage there, it's magnified because it's such a huge thing, right? Like if you hit on a couple of picks that other people wouldn't be hitting on, it's a very, very important thing. It can magnify your results, but your ability to control that is very low. Now you might have 2% of the game when it comes to game management, all this other stuff where you could get a big relative advantage. You could maybe like outperform them. You know, you're fully maximizing that 2% and they're getting half a percent or something like that. Again, not huge, but when you think about like gaining 2% win probability on a play a few times a game, you know, that's like a major injury. That's maybe even a bigger deal than a major injury of a non-quarterback going into a game, how much it'll affect win probability. So again, small on an absolute basis, huge on a relative basis. And that's even more important. You know, you can you can spend an infinite amount of time trying to maximize the stuff that you don't have much of a relative advantage on. And that's what most people do. Spend a very small amount of time. Uh, you just up that small amount of time maximizing things you have a relative advantage on. And then you can see bigger kind of net results on something like that. Um, I guess it's going back to the uh, discussion that I had on here about um, like how you discount throws like the screen pass. He goes, why isn't it zero if almost every average starting quarterback could make that throw? Well, number one, I think we overestimate that every average starting quarterback can make that throw. Even when it comes down to being a screen, if it's well-timed, if it's out of the hands quickly, um, if it's well positioned, I think we always look at that and just go, oh, anyone can do that. No, no, anyone can't do that. Have you seen some of these Justin Fields screen throws? Um, then number two, like the, the 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 key with EPA is just being able to quantify things that we we can't properly into it the exact relative values of these different things. So I don't know. I just think discounting partially is appropriate discounting fully is wrong you're just gonna you're you're probably gonna lose something when you do that it's easier to do so people do in their heads like intuitively you might want to do that but just not not what i'm gonna do um q a is it too early to be concerned about Kayvon thibodeau uh i don't know is, is he not good I, i've really not been paying that much attention i'm gonna have to out myself here i saw a sack last night right it was not a great sack though <laughs> it was like it was like uh um Purdy kind of stepped into it. Okay, let's let's look him up here. I'm going to try to pretend like I'm actually going to do some due diligence here. Uh, let's go to the old... I'm going to look at PFF here. Pass rush. Kayvon, how are we doing so far this year? Um, two pressures on 43 pass rush snaps. Um, Yeah. Let's do some quick math here. That is a 4.6% pressure rate. That's not going to get it done. One hit, one hurry, uh, two tackles. That's it. Not that that matters that much. Uh, his grading. His grading wasn't that bad last year. I don't know. It's two games in. No, I don't think it's too, too early to get worried about them. But I will also reference here uh, Timo. Risque over at PFF had this um, analysis on like Timo's an interesting guy. Like I, I love Timo, um, but he he says like he's he's hyperbole on on uh, Twitter a little bit too much for my uh, for my liking. But he does 
great fucking analysis though because i'm always like looking at a lot of his different analysis here the, the investigating learning curves here we go investigating learning curves from college football to the nfl maybe i'll even try to to share this because we this is this is a great article for anyone who wants to boom who wants to look at this about uh thibodeau if you want to look about him specifically because if i remember correctly when it was looking at these different learning curves that edge rusher took longer than I thought for guys to produce their maximum value, bum, 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 quarterbacks. Okay. Let's skip this running backs. Don't care. Uh, trench players, mm, offense, defense. Okay. Edge rushers. Look at this year in the NFL. Year one is like almost negligible. It's one of the lowest numbers for how much war they produce. And the tip actually wasn't that bad in year one. And then it jumps up to 20% of their, their war that they produce in the first four years is produced in the second year. So again, if you were like scaling this out on average, you'd expect about 25%, right? In that year. So it's it's still on the low side and then it jumps up to 30 and 40% in the next couple of years. So I don't know, I give them some time. I guess that would be my larger thing is maybe just looking at that and say, I'll give them some time on this. Uh, Q and a, are the giants screwed since they pay DJ so much? And are they locked in for a while? They're not actually locked in for that long. The problem with the DJ contract, uh, it was one of those deals where you, it wasn't an awful contract. If you could do like things that teams don't normally have the discipline of doing, um, let me I'll bring up over the cap. Remember always. Always bring up over the cap. Never bring up those other guys. Um, if you look at the, the contract, so here's the thing with Daniel Jones. We have a bonus, prorated bonus of 44420 that came out there. Is that the actual bonus here? Um, $36 million signing bonus. And how it works here for 2023 you have a low cap number, only a $15 million cap number. You have the base salary, which is kind of like the minimum. Uh, and then you take your medicine in year two. The problem is you're looking at a couple different scenarios with him. You can't get out after year one. That's a problem. But if you're really, really bad and you can draft someone, eh, you can carry his his contract and have him as be like the quarterback who's in there and then, you know, bring in the other guy and, and bring him along and just eat that number. And then you're, you're kind of cool after that. I mean, you're not great. Like 2025, there is a $12 million base salary converts to fully guaranteed by March 15th of 2025. So you just cut them after the 2024 season or trade them, I guess, if anyone would take them. Um, and, you know, you, you you take 20 million in dead cap, but then you save 19 million and you're just taking the dead cap that you're taking. It's not any guaranteed salary. It's just the prorated bonus that you've already paid out. So it's a sunk cost at that point. So, yeah, you can get out of Daniel Jones, but that's how you have to do it. Now, you have to avoid two different things. One, you had to avoid him playing well and then or well enough that you look at that $47 million cap number next year and you go, you know what, let's, let's try and win. Let's restructure. Let's push this out. Let's tie ourselves down even longer. Um, so you have that problem or you have the second problem. Whereas if you don't draft a quarterback in the draft, you're like, fuck, we're stuck with Daniel Jones. Uh, fuck it. 
let's just go ahead and do the same exact thing, <laughs> lower his cap number, extend it out, and just hope and pray we can keep our jobs and he turns his performance around. So you just got to avoid those two things. If you can avoid those two things, you got to pay out the $36 million in guaranteed salary next year. You got to just eat that um, and then cut him the following year and, and write off the sunk cost. So it can't be done. Like It can't be a two-year deal where you're basically paying – 36 for you're basically paying like 80 something million for two years so that's painful um but you can get out i mean it's possible i guess to get out uh, okay if you had to pick only one epa per play pff grades or film i.e we know a good quarterback when we see one what do you believe you'd pick as the most highest correlated to qb talent i mean epa per play that's there's no doubt about that for me if, in a large enough sample i think in a small sample like that, that's like the whole question, right? Like I take film, you know, when you see one for the smallest sample, I take PFF grades for the medium ish sample. And then I take EPA per play for the largest sample, even over a whole season. I mean, let's, let's say like, you know, you know, when you see one, I've done these articles about MVP voting and people like to hype up, oh, there's a narrative around MVP voting and, you know, the team around them and this and that. The the season ending quarterback for EPA per play has won the MVP almost every single time. Because guess what? If you're really, really efficient as a quarterback, your team has a good record or good enough record. And you still have guys like Matt Ryan who win where their team doesn't have that great of a record. I mean, I think they were 10 and six that year and he ended up winning. Um, So like that is actually aligning with you know, when, when you see one kind of, for at least for the MVP voters, right? Over just one season, that's aligning. So I'll take that. And it's going to have so much more nuance when it comes to sacks and other things um, than the PFF grading. Uh, okay, last Q&A here. Is it time for the pass to panic going 0-2 against the two top tier teams? Vegas thinks their game against the Jets is a coin flip. Well, actually, they're a little bit favored. And they're almost up to three as being favored there. So I don't think it's a coin flip. It's in New York. So I especially don't think it's a coin flip. I talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to panic because. But, well, well, first of all, you never panic, right? You're never like, you know, what's a good idea? Panic. <laughs> like, that's never a good idea, right? That's, so maybe I shouldn't say that. You know, what I mean? like, you know, what would help this situation if we had more panic, if we were like upset, but yet also panicked, you know, that's not happening, right? Um, but you're. You can't just sit back and be like, you know what? Our peripherals say we're a better team than we thought. So hell, you know, like, let's look at Kevin Cole's adjusted scores. We're, we're doing great. Let's high five each other. Um, no, because you're fucked. If you're 0-3, like those, those are in the bank. Those have been banked in a killer AFC. Um, so the problem is, even if you look at their weekly betting line and it says they're an okay team, and you look at their power rankings and it says they're an okay team, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, when you bring up the old to make the playoffs right now, the Patriots know is minus 450 right now to, to, to make the playoffs. And that's before losing this game. So minus 450, that is, you know, let's cut some VIG out of there. 75, 80% chance not to make the playoffs right now. So, yeah. I mean, it's jumping up, but like 90% chance not to make the playoffs. So you panic from that perspective. You have a rational perspective of like, we're not making the playoffs probably this year, no matter what we do, no matter how good we are. 
but I don't know if panicking does any good or like, what the hell, what the hell are you going to do? You know, if anything, you might say we, we shouldn't throw good, good money in after bad here and, you know, sell out in some sort of way to make the playoffs when we know we have no chance of making the playoffs. We got to say, Hey, we just got unlucky this year. Let's try and build out in a way that we can build on what we had this year for next year, evaluate Mac Jones, all those sorts of things and have a realistic view of our team going forward. Um, that's what I would say. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, went a little bit longer on this one. Hopefully it was good for some people. Go to the Substack, subscribe, help me, you know, uh, feel good about continuing to do these since I'm not, in the sense of, you know, I'm not seeing any monetary benefit other than uh, being able to listen back and, and hear the sultry tones of my own voice here. Um, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. I'll be back on Monday morning for sure. I'll try to do Tuesday morning. Apologies for not doing it this week, but I'm going to try to do what I can there. Uh, otherwise, uh, enjoy your weekend, everyone, except for that god-awful late window that we have of games. But maybe, you know, talk to your family. How about that, people? No, I'm just kidding. You don't want to do that. Um, but, you know, to take some time off and have some uh, rest and relaxation maybe in that late window and get ready for Sunday night football. All right, guys. I can...